Our text today is an immediate sequel to last week's reading. Last Sunday, we learned that the priest, Zechariah, would conceive a child with his wife, Elizabeth, despite their old age, something of a familiar trope in the Bible. Zechariah couldn't believe it and was rendered mute for his lack of faith, at least until the kid was born. Of course, the kid would turn out to be John the Baptist. This week, we learn of Mary's immaculate conception of Jesus. Mary and Elizabeth, despite the difference in age, have a lot in common beyond being cousins. They're both blessed with miraculous pregnancies that are also socially problematic. Elizabeth is too old to bear children. Mary, perhaps a bit too young, still unmarried. What will people think? We're told nothing of their previous relationship, but this anxiety drives Mary to seek out Elizabeth a hundred miles away, while Elizabeth takes a different approach, tries to seclude herself from the world. One reaches out while the other hides, but when they finally connect, sparks fly. A reading from the book of Luke. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me in this time, when he looked favorably upon me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent to God by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean 
town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting, ever-loving God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. In the spring of 1942, Roy Sullivan is baptized by fire. A storm rolls in across the Shenandoah National Park in Virginia, arcs of lightning slicing through the dark clouds overhead. Sullivan, a park ranger, has a spectacular view of it all from atop a fire lookout tower. He sips coffee from his trusty thermos and watches the rainfall, trying to pick up something decent on the radio. The tower is a new construction and he feels safe enough, but it has not been fitted with a lightning rod. And as the storm grows in intensity, lightning begins to strike it directly once, twice, three times, igniting the wooden structure as it bursts into flames. Fire was jumping all over the place, Sullivan later recalled. He flees the tower and runs for his life before being struck by a bolt of lightning a few meters away, knocking him unconscious, searing a long scar along his right leg and putting a hole in his leather shoe. Little does Sullivan know, this is only the beginning of his troubles. The second incident occurs, oddly enough, while he's driving his pickup truck in the summer of 69, some 27 years later. Now, it's normally impossible to be hit by lightning while driving, as the vehicle's steel frame acts as a kind of Faraday cage. But in this case, the bolt ricochets off of a nearby tree and flies in through the open window of his truck, incinerating Roy's eyebrows and setting his hair on fire. The third lightning strike comes only a year later, while Sullivan is in his front yard searing another scar onto his left shoulder. The fourth strikes Roy indoors in 1972 while he's working at the Shenandoah Ranger Station, again setting his hair on fire. Now at this point, and you can hardly blame him, he starts getting a little paranoid, <laughs> begins to believe that some unknown force is trying to kill him. He grows fearful of storms and he replaces the coffee in his old thermos with water just in case his hair catches fire again, which it does just a year later in 73 as he tries to outrun a lightning storm in his truck. 
believing that he has succeeded and that he's now safe, he pulls over and steps outside, only to be struck yet again. The thermos comes in handy. Lightning strikes again for the sixth time in 1976. The seventh incident occurs on June 25th, 1977, as Sullivan is enjoying a relaxing day of fishing. Like a proverbial bolt from the blue, it knocks him backwards, sets his hair on fire again. But before he can dunk his head in the lake, he realizes that a large bear has ambled onto the scene and is trying to steal the trout that he just caught. Not on Roy's watch. With his scalp still smoldering, he scrambles to his feet and grabs a nearby stick, attacking the bear with it, chasing it away. Not only does Roy Sullivan survive the seventh lightning strike and the encounter with the bear, but he claims that while this was not only the seventh time that he'd been struck by lightning, it was also the 23rd time that he'd fought a bear with a stick. Both on the same day. I guess Roy likes to keep track of things. I find it interesting that even amidst his fear, Roy never quit being a park ranger or finding joy in the great outdoors. After six strikes and a couple dozen bear fights, the guy's still out there fishing, doing what he loves. And when the seventh comes, he gets up, his head ablaze, and fights another bear. And yet so often we stay inside, inside the house, inside our walls, inside our bubble, because we're afraid of whatever sparks might fly between us. In last week's sermon, we heard about Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth and the angel that promised them they would bear a child in their old age. That scripture focused on Zechariah and his response to the news. And in this text, we get a glimpse of his wife Elizabeth's reaction. She's undeniably grateful for conceiving. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me, she says. And yet we're also told that she secludes herself completely for the first five months of her pregnancy. And we have to wonder why. Why doesn't Elizabeth leave the house? Why doesn't she tell her friends and neighbors? What is she so afraid of? Well, the text offers some clues. First of all, it's not that Elizabeth just doesn't feel like going out. In the original Greek, the word for seclusion, herikribo, makes it clear that she is hiding. Hiding from who? Well, listen to the other half of her proclamation. This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace that I have endured among my people. Why doesn't Elizabeth tell her friends and neighbors about her pregnancy? Well, because her friends and neighbors just aren't very friendly. As I'm sure you know by now, women had little status in Jewish culture in the first century. While some managed to rise above their station as successful businesswomen and entrepreneurs, they were mostly expected to be barefoot and pregnant. And if you couldn't get pregnant, you didn't have many prospects. Worse, 
People assume that you probably did something to deserve your infertility, leaving you as a bit of a social outcast, a pariah, persona non grata. And having lived like this for so long, Elizabeth is afraid of people. She's afraid what they'll think, afraid of how they'll react to this unusual turn of events. Maybe they'll accuse her of lying, or worse, some kind of sorcery. Elizabeth simply can't trust folks to care in any kind of compassionate way. And it seems to me that we 21st century Americans are just as isolated, keeping our heads down, hiding. That more and more we seclude ourselves, afraid of each other's politics, afraid of each other's judgments, maybe afraid of getting shot. David Bowie wrote a song a few years back called, I'm Afraid of Americans. And the music video is kind of funny, actually. It featured Bowie as a, a mild-mannered, polite Englishman wandering the streets of New York City. And it's clear from his expression that he's feeling increasingly threatened by the angry glares, the rude behavior, and the violent advertising. The entire time he's being stalked by his longtime musical collaborator, Trent Reznor, He's a bit of an imposing, you know, guy in his own way. Uh, and, uh, he, he's, you know, he's looking very intimidating. He's got his long black hair spilling over this green military jacket. And he looks like he's about to murder someone. No one needs anyone, Bowie sings, seeking safety in the backseat of a cab. They don't even just pretend. And then he realizes in a panic that Trent Reznor is actually driving the taxi. It's all caricature, but we really do live in this hyper-individualist and lonely society where no one thinks they need anyone, where nobody talks to strangers, where trust costs more than the groceries, where social media passes for friendship, where everyone is a potential threat. And it's not just fear that keeps us inside, it's just the path of least resistance. You don't have to leave the house to rent a movie anymore, or to buy a book, or to pick up the groceries. You don't even have to pick up the phone. We could do all these things without ever speaking to another human being. As songwriter Bo Burnham sings, full agoraphobic, losing focus, cover blown, a book on getting better, hand delivered by a drone. And while that's all incredibly convenient, especially for introverts, like me, it's probably cost us more collectively than we can even begin to imagine. We worship innovation for its own sake, like some kind of idol. We don't usually stop to consider that many of our innovations have only widened the spaces between us and hurt the planet along the way. And that's why this scripture in today's culture is so radical. Mary, in need of a friend, doesn't just try to do it on her own. She travels 100 miles on foot from Nazareth to her cousin Elizabeth's house in the suburbs of Jerusalem. Think about that for a second. How often do we pick up the phone to call an old friend or book a flight to visit them, much less walk 100 miles just to see their face. 
when Mary arrives, Elizabeth is finally coaxed out of hiding. There's this spark between them, this jolt. And John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And the two women embrace. And even in the midst of this weary world that they live in, even in the midst of all of their justifiable anxiety and fear, they rejoice in one another's company. They experience this real human connection. And like a defibrillator, it brings them back to life. You see, there's something in the space between us, a kind of electricity that occurs when two people connect on a deeper level. There's a, a spark. But too often we trade that joy for electronic toys. As a younger man, when I moved in with a couple of my best friends from college, someone gave us an unusual housewarming gift. On the box, it said, amazing roulette. But we just called it the shocker. You see, everyone, well, I got one here, actually. Um, <laughs> see, everyone puts their finger on, uh, on this little plate, and then you push the button, and the, the light goes around in a little circle. Wherever it stops, it induces an electric shock <laughs> to whoever's got their finger on the, the wrong plate. Um, it's not exactly high voltage, but it hurts. <laughs> Here, let me show you. Uh, armed tank. You can set the mode to, you know, test your luck, uh, how many people you want. So you can do like five, or you could just do two, you know, which increases your odds of getting shocked to 50%. So let's give that a go here. Uh, that. You know, when I did it before, I was playing this dramatic music. It was really, really something. I don't think this one actually works, um, <laughs> which is unfortunate. But the one that we had in, uh, in our apartment, that turned out to be pretty useful for a group of friends that, you know, can't agree on anything. Can't decide to go where, uh, where to go for dinner? Shock you for it. Can't decide what movie to watch tonight? Shock you for it. Can't decide whose turn it is to clean the bathroom? You get the idea. I suppose you could say that this thing brought us closer together. You know, that it brought laughter and spontaneity, that it turned the electricity between us into something more than a metaphor. That's the argument that people always make for social media, right, and technology in general, that these things bring people together across vast distances, allow them to communicate and connect, to share photographs and stories and recipes and the content of life. But life can't be reduced to content. And there's no substitute for human touch, for face-to-face -face interaction, the joy that comes from a real connection with a real person. An internet connection can't do that. And when we depend on these tools to relate to each other, the tools have a tendency to become the focus rather than the people. You get on Facebook to see photos of your grandkids, for instance, and you end up scrolling through political propaganda for an hour. 
You'll log into Instagram to see what your best friend has posted and end up looking at photos of Kim Kardashian's new line of eco-friendly brassieres <laughs> exactly like they want you to. You know, maybe Mark Zuckerberg really thought he could bring people together, but I don't know. I feel like these innovations have done more to tear us apart. In much the same way, the shocker ended up isolating me. I grew so fascinated by it, by the thrill. After my roommates went to sleep, I would sometimes find myself sitting in the living room by myself, eyes wide in the dark, one finger on the little metal plate, the other on the switch, pushing the button over and over again to see how far I could push my luck. Tap, tap, tap. 20 years later, I'm still doing the same thing on my phone. Tap, tap, tap. What if we tapped someone on the shoulder instead? What if we took a risk like Mary and it paid off? The real tragedy of Roy Sullivan's story is not that he was struck by lightning seven times. It's that it happened so often that people started to avoid him for fear of getting struck themselves. He remembers one incident in particular later in his life when he was strolling through the woods with his boss, the chief ranger at Shenandoah National Park. The wind picked up a little and they heard the distant rumble of thunder a mile or so away. I'll see you later, Roy, <laughs> the chief said suddenly before walking off in another direction, hoping to put as much distance between them as possible. The truth is there is always risk when you're standing next to another human being. The sparks between us are not always joyful. Sometimes they hurt. The closer we get to someone, the more inclined we are to hurt them or to get hurt. I believe they call that the porcupine's dilemma. And this scripture offers us two alternatives to this conundrum. We can be like Elizabeth, afraid to leave the house. We could be like Mary, who goes to great lengths to build a relationship. How does a weary world rejoice? We do it together, or not at all. We find joy in connection, not to a wall socket, or a battery, or the internet, but to another human heart, which has an electricity all its own. Amen.